everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Welcome back to another week of Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We are excited to have you with us today and especially excited to be back with Kate Vasquez. She joined us for a previous episode on the importance of mindset when it comes to health and wellness. Um, So if you missed that, you got to go back and listen to that first because I loved her message in that and I'm in such agreement with the concept of if we are really seeking true health and wellness and fulfillment. Um, You know, we can't just chase after the supplements and the diet and the sleep. It really comes down to what our mindset is as the true root cause. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, go back. That's episode 92. And for those of you who missed it, I want to just do a a brief introduction. So Kate is a board certified physician assistant. Um, She is a functional medicine practitioner and the founder of Radiant Health. She has a really fabulous book titled Estrogen is a Bitch that I encourage you check out. I got my own copy on Amazon. And so if you find yourself struggling with our topic today, this is the book you need to get. So I want you to check that out. Um, She is back today. We're so excited to share her knowledge and help us become better, healthier practitioners, as well as guides to our patients when it comes to hormone health. And I think often we are, we kind of feel like we're at the mercy of our hormones and, you know, we just accept the symptoms of PMS or menopause as the norm, and we really just suffer through it. And I feel like this is true for us as practitioners, as well as for our patients. And speaking of mindset, you know, what a miserable mindset to be in when we just feel like we're stuck in that, you know, that when our mentality is, well, here's another hormone surge. So I'm just going to suffer through the irritability or the cramping or bloating or sadness or fatigue, whatever that looks like for you. And I just can't wait for it to be over. So I feel like that's not a healthy mindset. So I'm super excited, Kate, that we are so glad to have you joining us today with all of your knowledge and expertise. And we honestly have high hopes that you bring us good news. And in fact, that we are not at the mercy of these symptoms driven by hormone fluctuations and imbalance, but there is a way to create balance and live comfortably. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for for having me. And as always, it's just, it's an honor and blessing just to dive deeper into these conversations. So thank you again, Teresa. Absolutely. So before we get really deep into all of this, I just want to set the table for why we're having this conversation from a dental hygiene perspective. So we look in patients' mouths all day. You know, we definitely stay on the north end of the body. We are not gynecologists. Um, So, you know, some may think, well, why does this matter for us as oral health care providers? And any hygienist that's been practicing for even a short period of time has seen a pregnant, a pubescent, or a menopausal patient, we know that hormones can have a direct impact on the gingival tissues. We've seen the red, bleeding, tender, inflamed gums. And I want us to understand why that is. We may not all realize that the oral mucosa, 
mirrors vaginal mucosa in its histology, and that actually sex hormone receptors have been detected in both types of tissues. Due to these similarities, estrogen will affect the oral mucosa as it would the vaginal mucosa. And we know that in menopause, the primary oral, oral manifestations include xerostomia, which can contribute to gingivitis and periodontal disease, as well as decay, burning mouth syndrome, and candidiasis. In pregnancy, we often see the hormone-induced gingivitis or periodontal disease and benign pregnancy tumor, tumors. It's common to see gingivitis during puberty, and we must also understand that patients on oral contraception can also have oral manifestations driven by an exaggerated inflammatory response to bacterial pathogens. We should be aware that research links low natural estrogen levels driven by synthetic levels in birth control with TMD disorders. So there's a lot of facets to how these hormones really do impact our mouth and our oral health. So Kate, I know there is so much about hormone imbalance that we could really dive into. Um, and what we can do about it. And like I said earlier, I think your book is a really great resource that goes into depth on all of this. But can you help give us an, just kind of an overview of how hormone imbalance happens and some things we can do to create balance for ourselves and our patients? Yeah, absolutely. That is a, a great question. And, and as you're mentioning, uh, we do have estrogen receptors all over our body. And that's one of the things that I learned because you know, as a woman, I just thought estrogen was just in our reproductive organs and in our breasts. But then as I became a functional medicine practitioner and learned about hormonal imbalances and what was actually happening in our body, I realized like, no, estrogen receptors are all over. And like you said, we have them in our mouth. We also have them in our brain and our thyroid and our, our bones, our gut, like they're all over and they're so important. And even more than that, they all estrogen, uh, also in the receptors, regulate our inflammation and our immune system. So this is why it's important to understand our hormones and when they're out of balance, because it is regulating the inflammation, not just, you know, in our reproductive organs, but our, in our mouth for this, um, in this, in this situation too, because as a, a dental hygienist, as a dentist, as you're seeing your, your patients, you know, diving into their medical histories is really important. So um, some of the things that can contribute to in, hormonal imbalance, the biggest thing for me is, is always looking at gut health. <laughs> I always like to start with the gut because the gut is so important. There's trillions of microorganisms in the gut, lots of bacteria, even viruses, some yeast, uh, parasites, protozoa, um, and they should all be living in community with each other. But the problem is a lot of things can affect the balance. And sometimes we get like yeast, for example, that takes over or bad bacteria that will take over and it creates inflammation in the gut. And the importance of gut health with hormone imbalance is that our gut and the specific bacteria we have is really important to help eliminate uh, our hormones when they're broken down in the liver. So I like to start there first because a lot of us have poor gut health. I definitely had issues in the gut and um, yeah, a lot of gas, constipation, <laughs> bloating in my, in my twenties, I had no idea what was going on. So I had to really start taking a look at the food that I was eating. And also I had been on medications like um, birth control, which studies show there's a link that birth control contributes to something called leaky gut. It really does affect the lining of the gut. It does affect the health of our gut. And, um, 
And it also impacts our gallbladder and our ability to be able to produce bile and bile is what's needed to help bind inactive estrogen when it's being broken down in the liver. So it can go to the gut and be eliminated. So yeah, everything's all connected. And so the health of our liver, the health of our gut is really important to help break down our hormones because our body is supposed to produce it so we can use it, but also break it down and eliminate it. So we don't have too much building up in the body and that's, um, what should be happening. But when we have poor gut health, what happens is that bacteria that's supposed to help eliminate the inactive estrogen. Um, it actually turns it back into the active form. <laughs> if we don't have enough of the good bacteria, we have too much bad bacteria, which increases this, uh, enzyme called beta glucuronidase. And now the inactive estrogen becomes active again. So instead of being eliminated, now the body thinks it's ready to be taken up and used again. So it reabsorbs it back into circulation. So, um, it can really be a, a big, big problem. And I always start with gut first because we have to open up the elimination pathway first. Cause if we start working on the liver, then that can cause a lot of problems and make you feel worse as well. So yeah, gut health is always the first thing, um, that I, that I look at in terms of hormonal imbalance. So if we, you know, have patients that are having hormone issues or ourselves, that would be the first place to start having that conversation of leaky gut and just, you know, considering, am I having those kind of symptoms? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what I did find is that not everybody has gut issues, but that doesn't necessarily mean you don't have stuff going on in the gut. So yeah, I always ask, do you have, you know, diarrhea, constipation, bloating, gas, you know, how often are you going to the bathroom? Because what I also learned um, in school is that, oh, if someone's going every other day and that's normal for them, then don't worry about it. But if they're going like once a week, that's, you know, could be a problem, but you know, there are some people going once a week that have always been normal for them, but that's not normal. We should be going to the bathroom every single day, at least once a day, I'd say one to three times a day. If you go more than that, that's a little excessive. That means food's going, you know, really fast through your system and you're not absorbing a lot of the important nutrients, which are also important, you know, to produce our hormones, to help our body, help our liver to break down the inactive hormones, you know? So everything all, all is, is, is very important. So it's just, it's finding that balance. If you're not going every day, you know, to the bathroom one to three times a day, that's a problem. And not only that, the consistency matters too. You know, if you have a really hard stool, it's very soft, it's falling apart. That's not normal. So you may not have gut issues, but our stool is actually a sign of our gut health, how well everything's functioning in the gut. So yeah, I always just do a stool test on my clients just to see what the status of their health or their gut is. Um, so that way, when we start looking at balancing the hormones, when it comes to the liver, then that at least that pathway is, is open. It's clear to that, allow the elimination to happen. And, um, some, some women I worked when I started working with the gut, first thing I also do is remove inflammatory foods. And I've had some women, their PMS improved with that alone. (laughs) So it's, it's incredible how like, yeah, food really does impact contribute because what it does is if we eat inflammatory processed foods, it increases inflammation. And remember estrogen and estrogen receptors are part of that inflammatory response in the body. So yeah, sometimes the littlest things can make a huge, huge difference. Bulletproof Hygienists, we are excited to announce our 2023 Bulletproof Summit. 
Mark the date on your calendar and block off patient care because we're going to be in Las Vegas, August 11th and 12th at the Wynn Hotel. Registration is live. Get all the details and jump on the early bird specials by going to bulletproofsummit.com. This is our opportunity to connect with you and your team in person and grow exponentially together. We promise you don't want to miss it and we can't wait to see you there. Sign up today. And just this got me thinking this might be a tangent question, but if we are in an inflamed state and hormones are designed to help that process, does our body then hold on to more of those hormones to help process the inflammation? That's a great question. Not necessarily. I think sometimes if, if, if we have excess estrogen in the body that can actually, um, turn on that inflammatory response. Okay. okay. Yeah. So if there's a lot of inflammation, the body doesn't necessarily mean that the body's going to produce hormones, but if there are different things that's contributing to hormonal imbalance and we have a lot of estrogen in the system, then that can be the thing that actually sets off that inflammatory response. But what I find is that, you know, when it comes to inflammation, it's not just one thing <laughs> that contributes right. to it. It's, right. it's always multifactorial. So yeah, usually, yeah, there's a imbalance of the hormones and people are eating inflammatory foods, but also stress, stress creates inflammation in the body as well. That's a big factor too, that I, I dive in. And I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, you look at all the different chronic diseases, you know, heart disease and diabetes and obesity and Alzheimer's, even hormonal imbalance, thyroid disorders, like every single thing, like, you know, when they list the, the risk factors, stress is a part of every single one. But, um, which is why I I recommend go back to our episode because, you know, until we learn how to adapt to stress, no one has really, you know, taught us how to adapt to stress, but it's, it's one of the things that's really, really important that we need to look at and, and to be able to really support our health long-term because yeah, stress is a big factor that increases that inflammation in the body as well. Yeah. So you, it sounds like we're saying step one is, you know, if, if you've got some hormone imbalance, let's pay attention to what's happening in your gut. Yes. Um, maybe find a functional medicine practice near you that will help you do a stool test just to see like, okay, what's, what's actually happening here. So we can rebuild the gut. Yeah. Um, okay. So then what do we need to know? Yeah, absolutely. So the next thing is looking at other lifestyle factors too. So yeah, talking about the stress, just assessing one's level of stress. And I usually just do a simple questionnaire on a level, on a scale one to five, like how stressed are you feeling? Five is like stress to the max or zero, like no stress at all. And so, um, so yeah, when my, my clients are marking like three to five, I'm like, okay, that's when I sit down with them and say, okay, what's causing the stress. And, you know, are you doing anything to help yourself to adapt, help yourself to calm down? And so I'll give them little, little practices, little things like doing like yoga and meditation, things you know, to do throughout the day, just to get themselves to calm down because most of us are just going from the time we wake up to the time we're going to bed. We're just go, 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 go. We're in go mode. And, um, I, I think I probably talked about in the last episode, but yeah, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, when we're constantly in that go mode, it's just keeping us in that sympathetic state. And when that happens, it increases cortisol and cortisol is fine 
when it increases short term. But the problem is, is a lot of us are walking around with high cortisol levels all day long. And eventually, you know, if there's a lot of stress and one thing piles on top, you know, top of the other, um, eventually the, the adrenals cannot keep up with the demand and cortisol will start to drop off. But a lot of women that experience hormonal imbalances is usually doing during the early stages when there's a lot of stress. And that's because cortisol and our sex hormones all come from cholesterol. So when our bodies are under stress, the body's going to prioritize producing more cortisol because remember, it's keeping us in that sympathetic fight or flight state to keep us going. And it's going to start taking away from our sex hormones, especially uh, progesterone, which in women, progesterone, we know it is our pregnancy hormone, but it's our hormone that also keeps us happy and keeps us feeling good and helps us to sleep at night. So it's our, it's our feel good hormone. It's nature's, you know, natural Valium. But when our bodies are constantly under stress, our progesterone will start to decline. And I've seen that in a lot of women as well. And on top of that, if we're taking birth control pills, birth control also suppress our body's own production of our sex hormones. So for, for me, when I came off of birth control after being on it for over 15 years, I took it for acne. Um, my hormones went crazy because yeah, my, my, my body was suppressing the production of the hormones for many, many years. And now it had to start producing again. So I had irregular cycles, really painful menstrual cramps, breast tenderness. I even gained a little bit of weight and I was like, what is going on? And when I did the testing, I'm like, oh wow, my progesterone's so low. So I really had to support it naturally with just herbs. And I did something called seed cycling and, um, and also just making sure I, I adapted to stress during that time. Cause it was also a very stressful time in my life. So yeah, a lot of things were happening, but, um, but yeah, uh, we don't realize the impact stress does have on our, our sex hormones. And, and even when I work with clients, we can, you know, I can get them on all the right supplements to help support their hormones, but then they'll reach out say, and say, you know, this month, my period came late or I had really bad cramps. Again, the first question I ask is like, did you have a stressful month? And a hundred percent of the time it was, it was a yes. So I'm like, all right, let's talk about this. Like what happened? How can you, what can you do moving forward to help to adapt to the stress? Because you can be doing all the things right, eating healthy, you can exercise, you can take all the right supplements. But if something happens and you're not adapting to the stress, it's going to throw your hormones off. Yeah. And it, it definitely did for me. And it, it's it's happened with other clients. So I'm like, I cannot stress this enough, like how important stress is, you know, and how it, it impacts our body and how we need to learn how to adapt to it. So it doesn't, it doesn't affect us. How does high cortisol play in with estrogen? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, cortisol can also increase inflammation. So, so it increases inflammation, but when it reduces our, our, our um, progesterone levels, what it does, it creates this um, imbalance. It creates this estrogen dominant effect. So now there's a lot more estrogen in our system. And, um, that's where all the, the estrogen dominant symptoms come from, like the PMS, the irregular periods, a lot of the clotting, um, breast tenderness, mood swings. And if the progesterone is low, then we also get like headaches, also insomnia, have trouble sleeping. So that's where that comes into play. It's like, yeah, it's, it's all connected in that, in that sense. 
And I want to ask, this is going to sound like this, the most dumb question there is, but I feel like this is a lot of people's reality. Like we've never thought about this before. So are you telling me that those symptoms, those discomfort, you know, like you said, the, the clotting, the cramping, the not sleeping, the mood swings, all that, you're telling me that's not normal. Like in a functioning, healthy body, we should not be experiencing that. That is correct. Absolutely. <laughs> that's like, that's like, well, you know, explosion in the brain, like, because I do feel like that has been the mindset of the mentality of ever since, you know, that first period started like, oh, you're a woman and this is just part of being a woman and it sucks and sorry, but, but this is really good news that it doesn't have to be this way. So I would say based off what you're telling me, what, what do you think the percentage of women going through estrogen dominance is? Like for your clients that you see? Yeah, I, I would say around 80 to 90%, yeah. almost, almost every one of them have some form of estrogen dominance. And in the book I talk about, there's three different patterns that I, that I've, I've noticed. And that the only reason I, I notice is because I do the testing and it's specific functional medicine testing. So you can go to your doctor and ask them to check your hormones, but they may not always see the patterns. And it's also important that women, especially if they're still cycling, get their hormones checked on a specific day of their cycle, because if not, the pattern is missed as well. So um, if you still have your period, you're listening to this and you want to get your hormones checked, I recommend make sure it's during the luteal phase, which is the second half of your menstrual cycle. So it's basically typically on average seven days before you start your next period, which is easy to calculate. You know, if you have anywhere from a 26 to uh, like a 30, 30 day cycle, you can just subtract seven and then you'll know that's the day to get your hormones checked. Now, if it's a little shorter, a little bit longer, that that's where working with a practitioner is helpful because yeah, if you don't get it done on a specific day, it can really affect the results of your hormones because our hormones are always fluctuating. Right. They're low during our period, estrogen spikes at ovulation, then it starts to come down, but now we get a big bump in progesterone and a little bump in estrogen. So that's what, where we are looking. We want to look at, I call it the peak time in the luteal phase to check the hormones. And so so yeah, it's important that, yeah, you're working with a, a practitioner who has this understanding. So, cause yeah, like, like we, like we mentioned, these symptoms are not normal. They can be resolved, but if we can check and understand, you know, check the hormones in a specific time, I can look at the pattern. Is it estrogen that's in balance or is it progesterone that's low, or do we need to support both? And that can make a world of a difference. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Um, so I know you say gut health is a big deal. Stress is a big deal. How does sleep, quality of sleep play into the equation for hormones? Oh yeah. Like sleep is a big, 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 important. Actually, it's probably the most important lifestyle factor that I recommend everybody focus on first, which, you know, everybody always focuses on like food and exercise, but you know, there's so many studies you can look them up, like how sleep is important for just overall health in general. Right, right. <laughs> but when we sleep, you know, our, our, our brain is filtering out a lot of junk, you know, cause we ourselves are constantly, um, you know, producing, making energy throughout the day, but it releases a lot of junk. And so in our brain, we have this protective barrier called the blood brain barrier, and it has its own lymphatic system called the glymphatic system. So when we're sleeping, it's important that we get 
good quality and quantity sleep. So not just seven, eight hours, but making sure you get enough REM rapid eye movement and deep sleep because during rapid eye movement, that's where we're consolidating our memories and also repairing and restoring and same during deep sleep, where we're repairing and restoring our body. And so when we get good quality sleep, Studies show that we have a better mood. We have lower levels of inflammation, better glucose levels. You know, there's just so many benefits um, to sleep. So if we're not getting good quality sleep, what that does is it, it drives up cortisol, <laughs> which increases inflammation. And it's going to drive up our glucose levels because there are, um, when our glucose levels are imbalanced, that can also contribute to hormonal disorders like PCOS, for example. And women with PCOS, you know, we think of high androgens like testosterone and DHEA, but women also have high levels of estrogen. And so it's important that women understand that like, okay, sleep is linked to a lot of these issues. It can drive up our cortisol, which when cortisol is high, it's going to cause progesterone to decrease. And then it's going to create that estrogen dominance effect. Same thing with, um, you know, like the insulin, it's going to increase our glucose levels, increase or decrease our insulin sensitivity, which can also lead to, to PCOS. So yeah, sleep is really, really important, but not just getting seven. Cause I thought I was getting seven to eight hours of sleep per night. But when I started tracking it, my favorite way to track is an aura ring. Mm -hmm. I realized I wasn't getting the best quality sleep. <laughs> So it really, it really opened my eyes. And now I realize I need actually eight and eight and a half hours of sleep for me to feel my best self, to feel rested in the morning. And that's a clue. If you can fall asleep and stay asleep and you don't feel rested in the morning, that means you're not getting quality sleep. Now, if you have trouble falling asleep, if you wake up in the middle of the night, yeah, obviously there's, there's stuff impacting your sleep. So yeah, working with a practitioner is important because then they can help you figure out, okay, what can you do to improve the quality of sleep? Because ultimately, yeah, it's also going to support your hormones as well. Yeah. And I'm honestly, I feel like it's like the chicken and the egg situation with the sleep because if you're not sleeping well, your hormones are going to be imbalanced, but if your hormones imbalanced, you're not sleeping well. So it's like, it's really a difficult thing to break out of. I think it really is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so, so for those, for those listeners that are like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I can't like my, I can't sleep well would, you know, at least kind of digging into seeing what the gut looks like, seeing what the hormones look like and seeing if you can get those things balanced, then we'll help with the sleep issues. Yeah, absolutely. That can, you know, just helping the heal the gut, bring the, you know, getting on the right supplements to help support your hormones can definitely play a huge role in improving quality of sleep. And one of the biggest things I always recommend too, is, is just winding down for the night, helping your body to calm down. Because <laughs> right. that's what I found for me, I was just Yeah, go, go, go until the time I went to bed. And I could do that when I was younger. But as I started, you know, to get into go get into my 30s, I realized, like, I can't do that anymore. It just it, it stimulates my brain and I can't stop thinking. Yeah. So it's like, okay, what are little things we can do just to really improve the quality of our sleep, get our bodies to calm down and wind down. Cause that too can make a huge difference. Yeah. And I feel, I'm, I feel personally super blessed because sleep is not something that I've ever really had to fight with. Um, there are moments and this has more to do with the stress. Um, there have been moments if my, if I've really got a lot on my plate, 
that I will wake up and I can almost even, it, it's almost like I can physically feel a click in my head. That's like, it's turned on. You got to do this, 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 this. So I've learned for myself that if that happens, cause I'll in my head, I'm like, no, 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 no. I have, I have three more hours to sleep. I'll get up and either write down or just put on my notes in my phone, like the things that I feel like I need. And then once I let that go, I'm like, okay, it's not, I'm not going to lose it. I can go back to sleep. And that's super helpful. Yeah. I call that a brain dump. I actually have that as one of the the tips and tools to improve sleep is yeah. Do a brain dump before bed. If you find, yeah, like, like you said, you find you're thinking about all the things that you have to do or didn't do. Yeah. Just write it down, write it in your notes. I do that all the time. And once it's out, it's like, huh, you, you can relax now because you're not constantly thinking about it. So you don't forget it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think the one other area I want to ask about is thyroid issues and how hormones play into this, because I will tell you, and I feel like if we took a a census across all of our listeners, I'm seeing more and more patients, both men and women, I'm seeing a lot of patients on thyroid medication and a lot of patients who've had a lot of thyroid issues. So, you know, my gut says it probably has a lot to do with our, our food sources and all the chemicals in that and our environmental toxins, because it just seems pretty rampant at this point. And I know the thyroid is kind of, I've heard in the past, people refer to the thyroid as like the thermostat for your hormones to help. So talk to me about that. What do we need to know on that front? Oh my goodness. Yeah. The the thyroid is responsible for our metabolism and in the growth and development of our brain and our, and our bones, strong, healthy bones. Like there's, there's so many things that the thyroid does, but yeah, there's, again, there's so many things that impact the thyroid as well. And and you've mentioned some of those like nutrient deficiencies. So not taking in enough iodine and enough, um, protein, um, is really, really important. And it's, it's crazy because we have iodine salt, which has decreased goiters, the development of goiters, which is just this enlarged, um, thyroid gland. But when I did testing, I was still deficient in iodine. <laughs> so for me, I had to take extra iodine every single day because I have a couple nodules, which thankfully are benign, but I looked up in the studies and research and it showed like iodine deficiency can increase nodules on thyroid, but also um, cause ovarian cysts in women. So I was like, Whoa, that's interesting. Wow. So yeah, it's so important that we are getting in the right nutrients. And unfortunately our food just doesn't have all the nutrients that it did many, many years ago, because the soils are now being depleted. And thankfully there, there are better, um, organizations and and farms that are doing sustainable farming to really just like replenish the soils and, you know, take care of just, yeah, the way they, they, they grow and process, you know, the food and reducing all the pesticides and all the, the chemicals that they use. Cause all these, these chemicals that we're exposed to, it does affect our thyroid, but also our, our hormones as well. A lot of these chemicals in our environment, not just in the food, but also the products and things that we're using on our body and in our home, they're called endocrine disruptors. They are xenoestrogens, which they look like, you know, estrogen, like an estrogen hormone, even though it's not estrogen, but it's, it's made very similarly. So when we're exposed to these chemicals, they attach to our estrogen receptors in the body. So it's like almost creating this estrogen dominance effect too. So when there's excess estrogen or the estrogen receptors are, are being, you know, stimulated by these xeno uh, estrogens, it can cause inflammation in the body. And when inflammation increases, we're going to release 
thyroid antibodies like TPO and thyroglobulin um, antibody. And it, those antibodies do attack the thyroid. So that's why there's a lot of like autoimmune thyroid disorders out there. Um, but not only that, if there is an excess amount of estrogen in our body, because our body's producing it, where we have low levels of progesterone, that can also increase something called thyroid binding globulin, which is a protein that will bind up um, some of our thyroid hormone like uh, T4. And when T4 decreases because of the bound to protein, it can create a little hypothyroidism as well. So there is a little bit of a link, you know, and what I discovered when working with clients um, that have had thyroid disorders and are on medications, I'm like, okay, has your practitioner looked at your hormones? Because that could also be playing a role to the imbalance. And so, so yeah, again, doing the testing and helping support the hormone side of things can, can be helpful. But again, yeah, when it comes to thyroid disorders, that too, there's so many different things contributing to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So we, we, I think get like how too much is hurting us, like how much, how the estrogen dominance is playing out. Let's talk about some strategies to help us personally, but also to help guide our patients to how do we find that balance? You know, when, how do we get this freedom from symptoms? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I always, I always recommend starting with, with food first, you know, because we, we, I do believe that we are what we eat. And when we're eating a lot of just processed food, that's ready to go, that's in package, you know, it, it's not necessarily the best food. And so I'm always teaching and educating my, my clients on reading the labels. So if you do buy something that's packaged, read the label. Cause if you read it and you're like, I don't know what this is, it's not, you know, I can't pronounce that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't pronounce that. Yeah. There's a lot of preservatives and thickeners and fillers and yeah, I'll look at something. I'm like, is this even food? Right. And if it's not food, like we shouldn't be be eating it. And a rule of thumb is like when you go in the grocery store, just shop around the outside, you know, in the produce section and, you know, where you can get whole foods. And so if we can focus on just eating whole foods, so that means cooking at home more. I encourage cooking at home and to make it easier, meal prep, meal, well, meal plan and meal prep. My husband and I, we literally have a list of like 15, 20 recipes that we've tested and tried, and we just created a list. So it takes the thinking out of it because yeah, we don't want to cook all the time. And when it came to cooking, we realized we were asking each other, like, what do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? So we just made the list, takes the thinking out of it. And now we rotate through the list. So when it's time to cook again, we only cook twice a week Wow, time to cook. Yeah. We're like, all right, what's next on the list? Actually, my husband's going today to go, to go grab all the, all the ingredients for our next meal. And we will literally make enough food for four days. So that way, yeah, we're only cooking twice a week. And it's so helpful because the food's already cooked. It's ready to go. It's in the fridge. All we have to do is just grab and go during the day. Cause I'm sure I'm not the only one who's like busy during the day (laughs) from thing to thing. So having food ready and available makes the world of difference. But if you can dedicate at least, yeah, two days a week to go to the grocery store to meal prep, you know, it, it will save you time and, and a lot of headache (laughs) and it sets you up for success, you know? And, you know, if you, if you're by yourself, get a friend, do it together, you know, because having two people to, to cook and meal prep, it makes the time go by so much faster. 
And so, yeah, I always recommend to start with eating whole, you know, and if you can get the food as organic as possible, granted, I know it can be pricey. So environmental working group has done a phenomenal job. They, they look at the, the, um, clean 15 and, and dirty dozen, meaning the top 15 foods that are the lowest in pesticides that you don't have to get organic. And then there's the top 12 foods that are probably the most, have the most pesticides that you should absolutely get organic. And so if you don't always, yeah, or are not able to always get everything organic, I highly recommend at least the 12, you know, the dirty dozen focus on getting that organic or anything with a thin skin. And, um, and, and I've had people say, well, did you know, organic's not hundred percent organic or free of pesticides? I'm like, I know this, <laughs> but for me, I'd rather reduce the toxic burden, the toxic load on my body as much as possible. And, you know, eventually my husband and I would like to grow our own food, um, as well. But, you know, if you're not able to do that, yeah, we can at least control what we can. And so getting lots and lots of produce, eating whole foods, and then, um, yeah, meal prepping and planning uh, helps as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, that that old adage, you are what you eat is super, super important. And I just want to connect some dots here as we're thinking about this. So you said in the very beginning, when you when somebody's got hormone imbalance, yeah. that you kind of start thinking, okay, what does gut look like? Yeah. And I just want to connect the dot of when we're eating a lot of these chemicals and like you said, preservatives and fillers and like things that aren't food, um, it, it contributes to that leaky gut. You know, when we think about our, you think about the inside of our gut, the lining of our gut, it's very thin. It's like one cell layer thick. And when we apply all these chemicals and all these foreign things, what it does is normally in, in a healthy situation, those, the, the layer that covering is very, it's got tight, close junctions and it's, it's there. It's like a, a, a protective force. But when we start breaking things down with these chemicals and these toxins, it starts to, you know, make those junctions loosen up and separate. And that's where the phrase leaky gut comes from, because now we've got these separations in that lining. And now when we're eating these things, not only is it, you know, getting into the lining, but now it's crossing through that lining. And now we have these chemicals and these food particles and these things that are toxic to us actually now accessing into the bloodstream. So I just wanted to connect the dots for listeners thinking like, yeah, I know that I shouldn't probably eat that, you know, package of crackers, but I just feel like when we really understand the why behind it, that drives us. And sometimes I think in hygiene, number one, we are slammed patient, 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 and arguing with patients who don't want to take x-rays or want to get out of here as soon as possible. And I just came for my cleaning. And when we know these other aspects, it becomes a very daunting task of like, you know, how do I have these conversations with these patients to really help them understand that what they put in their mouths really does impact what's happening in their mouths, but also their total health. So I just wanted to kind of connect those dots for a second to help us understand how that works. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, on the other side of of the gut is the immune system. So when you have that leaky gut and that barrier is being affected and broken down, um, it's going to activate the immune system. So going back to like the thyroid disorders, a lot of Hashimoto's and Graves autoimmune disorders, but not just thyroid, but any autoimmune disorder, we always look at the gut first because yeah, there's all these inflammatory foods that can impact that. And not only that, um, studies that have even shown that 
Um, there's something called lipopolysaccharides, which are toxins released by bad bacteria that pass through and go into the bloodstream. And then it, um, they're finding it in the lining of the uterus. So women with endometriosis, they're finding these LPS toxins. So that's like, if you don't think your gut is connected to hormone. Like there's, there's the proof right there in, in the studies. It's, it's pretty wild. So yeah, it, it really does impact everything. And on top of that, other things, um, you know, certain inflammatory foods that we think are healthy is gluten, gluten and dairy. Um, you know, the, the food industry does a great job advertising, like why we need wheat because wheat, you know, is heart healthy, has fiber, but unfortunately the wheat that we produce here in the States, it's, it has a lot more gluten and gluten's a protein that's not easily digested. And, um, a lot of people are really sensitive or intolerant to the gluten because only a small, very, very small population is actually like celiac. Um, positive, meaning they have a true allergy, allergy, but everybody else is, you know, pretty sensitive or can be intolerant to it. I definitely am. It makes me bloated and very tired when I eat it. So if I go to Europe and eat the, you know, eat the bread, eat the gluten over there, I'm completely fine. It's, it's, and it goes to show like how different it is. And same with dairy, like the dairy here just has a lot of whey and casein again, two proteins that are not easily digested. So uh, just finding like good quality farms, you know, that aren't going to pump their cows full of hormones and antibiotics. Cause that's another thing that gets into our milk and can affect our hormones. So yeah, there's, there's so much in the meat too, getting good quality sources of meat. So that's free of antibiotics, free of uh, hormones. Cause that's going to impact our gut health and our hormones too. So um, those, and I always, yeah, may recommend, yeah, just maybe just making little, little substitutes starting with those things and just see how you feel that can impact. Cause yeah, that one client, when she pulled out gluten and dairy, she, her PMS reduced significantly. So that just go to show just her making little tweaks had such a huge impact on how she felt, but also alcohol. I know a lot of people sometimes will resort to alcohol, like at the end of the day, when they finish with work to, um, to help with that stress, exactly to help with the stress. And I've had that conversation with a lot of clients as well. I'm like, okay, is this a healthy way to deal with the stress? Because what alcohol does is like, yes, yes, I understand there's polyphenols and antioxidants, especially in that, that red glass of wine. But when we drink alcohol, it does deplete a powerful antioxidant that our liver produces. It's called glutathione. And we need glutathione because it helps to detox from toxins and these inactive uh, estrogen metabolites when it's broken down in the body. And so if we are drinking that, even if it's just that one glass every day, it does deplete our glutathione and it affects our detoxification. So yeah, I used to enjoy a glass of red wine here and there, but, um, uh, over time I realized I became very sensitive to it. And even just a few sips, I don't feel well <laughs> the next day. So for me, I'm like, I'd rather eliminate it, not, not have it because now I understand the impacts that it has on my liver and my body and how well, you know, or how I don't, how well I don't feel the next day. So for me, I'd rather feel my best every single day. So that's something to also think about too. It's like, how much alcohol are you drinking? And if you have like one glass, you know, every couple of weeks or so socially, that's okay. But 
one glass every night, uh, you know, to, to wind down, to adapt to stress, like that's not a healthy stress response, you know? And so that's when we have that conversation with like our clients and our patients. Okay. Instead of having wine, what about a a cup of tea, (laughs) you know, like chamomile tea, because that's actually calming and relaxing and it won't affect your liver. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a great point. Um, I'm, I'm like you, I've, at this point, alcohol and I just aren't friends and I very rarely have anything because I just don't feel great. And I, and I think that's a good point is listen to your body because like you said, some people are more, some people like have an absolute gluten, you know, cannot have it. And then some people it's just like, oh, I don't feel so great. So I, that's a, a good point is just listen to your body and, and, you know, pay attention, be present with how you're feeling. And if something isn't, you know, making you feel great, like try going without it for a while and seeing, because yeah, it's such a gift to actually be healthy and feel good. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I always tell my clients, your body's the best test. So if you take something out for a little while and then bring it back in, you give your body time to like not have it. So inflammatory response, everything starts to decrease. And when you bring it back in, you'll notice how, how you react and respond. Granted, I've had clients come to me. They're like, oh yeah, I've already tried getting rid of gluten and dairy, but I still have the issues. I'm like, well, that's because we still had to go in and look at what's going on in the gut and heal that first. And once we heal that, then I had them, yeah, eliminate again and bring it back in there. They were like amazed how sensitive they really were. So, yeah. So <laughs> that brings me to another question I have is because we just talked about all of these toxins and all of these things that are in our foods and in our products and environmentally, is detox a big part of balancing hormones again? Yeah, that's a great question. So I don't, I don't take my, my clients through any crazy detoxes and cleanses and things like that. Um, instead for me, it's just, it's important to really focus on supporting the body and supporting detox detoxification naturally anyway. And so, yeah, again, going back to whole foods, making sure uh, you're eating lots of like cruciferous vegetables. So broccoli and cauliflower, kale, bok choy. Now, if you have thyroid disorders, if you steam them, those are fine. If you want to avoid eating them raw, but if you eat a little bit of cruciferous vegetables and they're cooked, it actually breaks down the glucosinolates, which can contribute to thyroid disorders. So, but always talk to your doctor too, before yeah, adding in a lot of these foods. But, um, if you don't have thyroid disorders, yeah, load up on those cruciferous vegetables, leafy greens, um, even radishes. I love radishes. I didn't realize, but radishes do help with detoxification, turmeric, curcumin, um, rosemary. So lots of herbs, parsley, cilantro. So adding all in, yeah, all these into our foods, cooking with them, um, can really be helpful, but also the most simplest thing is just hydrating. (laughs) Make sure you drink plenty of water and rule of thumb drink at least half your body weight in ounces per day. So as long as you're hydrating and also doing something to sweat, um, you know, I, I once did like a little jump roping session in my garage and I didn't realize I did like, I think it was one minute intervals for 10 total of 10 minutes. I was sweating so much. (laughs) So something simple like that, just jump roping can make you sweat or, um, yeah, I, uh, my husband and I invested in a sauna, but you can get like a sauna blanket from higher dose is a company. Um, I use their, their pulse electromagnetic, uh, field mat, but they have a sauna blanket. So you don't have to invest in a big, big sauna, but sometimes 
yeah, having that or going to a place, going to a spa and going to a sauna can, um, can help you sweat and, um, and just doing little things like that, you know, also just being mindful and eliminating a lot of like, you know, toxic products and things in your home and your environment to also, again, reduce the toxic burden. Um, there are a couple supplements that I will sometimes, yeah, recommend my clients take, but even just drinking like dandelion tea and milk thistle, you know, herbs, natural herbs can really help us support our liver with that detoxification process as well. Awesome. So you mentioned sweating, and I was going to ask you, how does exercise play into hormone balance? Is is it the fact that it makes you sweat and that helps, or is there another component to that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So yeah, exercise can definitely help you help you to sweat. Um, but what I found is that a lot of women that have come to me were, were actually over exercising. And so when it comes to exercise, you want to find that balance because when we're constantly exerting ourselves, so for example, doing like CrossFit or Orange Theory, which are great, I definitely admire the women that are doing that, but I believe that we shouldn't be doing it all the time. And, you know, we get caught up in this mentality that we have to yeah, exercise excessively and for really intense periods in order to lose weight or to maintain our weight. And I got caught up in that mentality too, at one point in my life. And I realized I was burning myself out a lot. And, um, it was also driving the, the, the cortisol up. It was contributing to the hormonal imbalance. And so now what I do is like, I still exercise pretty regularly. Um, I'd say almost every single day I may take one day off where it's a break, but it's not intense anymore. (laughs) I do like low to moderate intense activities. So I'll do yoga like three to four times a week. And then I do strength training where it's light to moderate weight. Um, I used to do really high intense weight back in the day, but um, yeah, I realized it was affecting my health. And so when it comes to exercise, it's finding that balance. Yeah, not too much, um, but also you don't want to be completely sedentary either. Like a little bit of exercise is really helpful because a little bit of light you know, moderate exercise is really good for us. It improves our mood. It improves our glucose regulation. It also can also lower cortisol. So a lot of clients say like exercise is one way that they relieve stress. And yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a great way to do that. It has, yeah, so many health benefits, but again, too much, too intense all the time is not good for us. And if anything, you know, women, what they can do is sometimes sync their exercises with their cycles. So you'll find that as you approach ovulation, you may get a bump in your energy. And if you want to do high intense exercise, that may be the best time for you to do that. And then the rest of your cycle back off a little bit and do something that's not as intense. So I think, yeah, like I said, just finding that balance can be really helpful because too much can actually play a role in hormonal imbalance. Yeah, for sure. And then (laughs) Um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say, because you covered a lot about the aspects of stress management and sleep and, you know, because that plays in Um, any other thoughts you wanted to share on that front that we missed. Yeah, absolutely. So with um, with sleep, again, it's just uh, making sure. Oh, for me, what was key is having a sleep schedule, like a pretty consistent sleep schedule. So that means going to bed and waking up around the same time every single day. 
Because if we yeah, have a really late night one night and then we go to bed early and then it's just all over the place, that doesn't help with the quality of sleep as well. And I've noticed that because again, I track it with the, the aura and the aura is actually really good at letting you know when you're not being consistent with your sleep as well. But yeah, having a consistent sleep schedule is, is definitely key. So if you find that, okay, your, your sleep is not the best, start looking at, um, having a more consistent sleep schedule and also winding down as I previously mentioned, because those two things alone really, really helped. But also another thing that I realized impacted my sleep was eating too close to bedtime, which is a biggie (laughs) because if we eat too close to bedtime, our digestive system is very active and it's actually going to affect the quality of our sleep. In fact, it causes my, what's called HRV heart rate variability which is your ability to respond to stress, it caused my HRV to decrease if I ate too close to bed. What and would so, you define as too close to bed? Yeah. So for me, I'd say about three hours. You want to eat about three hours before bed. Um, yeah. Cause even two hours before bed was still too close, but you know, that might vary a little bit with each person, but I'd say rule of thumb is, is three to four hours before bedtime, which seems like a long time, but you know, if you're eating good quality food and for me, I had to make sure I had fats with my meal because if I didn't have enough healthy fats, yeah, within a couple hours before bedtime, I would be hungry, (laughs) but kind of defeats the purpose. So make sure you are adding in healthy fats like avocados or nuts and seeds, or even drizzling olive oil, something to, you know, to increase your, your fat, because that's going to keep your glucose levels stable when you're going to bed or even having like, um, a golden milk, you know, latte with coconut milk or something, you know, something with a lot of healthy fats is going to keep those levels pretty stable through the night and improve the quality of your sleep. Nice. I love it. I love it. Well, um, I know that you also have a really cool, um, estrogen dominant quiz that you are going to share with us for our listeners. Um, we'll have it, the link attached here, Um, but that's just a quick quiz for us to kind of just check in and see if we've got any of those symptoms going. Yeah, absolutely. So it will say if you're likely or not likely to have estrogen dominance, it's not a a diagnosis, but yeah, you can check in to see, you know, if you have a lot of the symptoms associated with estrogen dominance and say most likely comes up, then I always recommend um, following up with a a functional medicine practitioner. So then they can do the testing to really see what's going on. And then from there, they can help you address those symptoms. But yeah, I just created the quiz to just make it easy for everyone just to pop in and have an idea. Okay. Is this something that I really need to look at and address further? Or if it, if not, I have very, very minimal symptoms and then you're good. So awesome. yeah. And, and that's really awesome. Not only for us, but that is something we could share with our patients too, to get them, they, yeah. you know, get them kind of thinking about that. Exactly. On the front of connecting with a functional um, practitioner. Um, I know you do um, online coaching and you see patients online too. So if you're listening and you're like, I don't know anybody, I don't have anybody in my area, please go visit Kate. Her practice is Radiant Health. Um, We've got the link here on the podcast as well, but it's um, yourradianthealth.com. So you can connect with her that way. Um, And then, like I said, I really do want to plug this book because we talked about a lot of things, but you guys got to check out the book because it has all of these things in depth. 
Um, and, you know, I kind of geek out on the science of things. And I love that because Kate apparently does too, when you read this book, like she really goes deep and helps you understand why all of this matters and how it all connects. So if today's topic resonated with you and you're like, oh, I, I want to know more, I'm struggling with this, like definitely check out the book. You can pick it up on Amazon. We'll got, we have the link here on the podcast as well. Um, but Kate, this was so wonderful. I mean, I think my biggest takeaway was like, you don't have to suffer with this. Like that is such a freeing concept that actually seems really foreign, but oh my gosh, how incredible. So thank you for sharing that and for all of your knowledge and time. It's, I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. You're most welcome. And you're right. You you don't have to suffer. Like once I balance my hormones, I, I just, I have a wonderful period every month. And I've even had clients and even family members say like, wow, my husband doesn't even notice when I'm starting my period. Cause I don't have mood swings anymore. I don't get moody and, and yeah. And they can just like go out and just live their life and, and be active. Cause they're not yeah, at home, just curled over in an excruciating pain. It really does make a difference. And it's just, it's so rewarding to, to help my clients on that journey to go. Yeah. From, from suffering to just, yeah, feeling free, being free from all the symptoms and being able to live their life fully. So yeah, it's, it's been an honor and pleasure and yeah, I hope, I hope everyone has taken something away from, from our conversation today. Yes. Well, like I said, I'm very grateful and listeners, um, take us up on all of these different options, you know, dig in, read the book, contact Kate, if you need help, take the quiz, but let's get ourselves really comfortable so we can practice at our highest level and then help our patients because this, as you, as you heard today, it is all so connected and so many people don't know this. So let's get the word out there, but thank you everyone for joining us this week. If you haven't joined our mighty network, please do. It is a community for us to just all come and collaborate and share thoughts and questions. And it's a free app, just download mighty network and search bulletproof hygiene and come join us. Thank you so much, Kate. Everyone have a wonderful week and we will see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you. 